Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Hey church, my name is Luke. I get to be one of the ministers here at PCC. And if you've got your Bibles handy, crack them open today to Jonah chapter two. Uh, My guess is when you think of the story of Jonah, you think of two specific characters, Jonah and yeah, the whale, right? Now, some of you are thinking, it doesn't say whale, it just says fish. (laughs) Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But that's not the point. Yes, this story is about two characters, but the fish actually only shows up in three verses for this whole book. So the story's not really about Jonah and the fish or Jonah and the whale. The story's not really about Jonah and Nineveh. It's not about Jonah and the sailors. This story is about Jonah and God, which is why we're calling this series through the book of Jonah this month, A Clearer Vision of God's Heart. And we're going to discover something astounding today about the heart of God here in Jonah chapter 2. But first, let's back up a little bit and recap some of what Steve showed us last week in Jonah chapter 1. The very beginning of the book here, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh. (laughs) If you lived in Jonah's day, that word just sent chills up your spine. These guys were the Nazi Germany of the ancient world. They chewed up entire countries and ate them for breakfast. And God says, not just preach about Nineveh, not even preach to Nineveh. He says, preach against Nineveh. So what happens? Verse three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Sounds like a great idea already, doesn't it? (laughs) You see, what God wants for Jonah and what Jonah wants for Jonah don't line up. And Jonah decides that God's will is just too difficult. And so he skips town as if the call of God is optional. Ever been there? You know that thing that you should do, that thing that God's kind of been nudging you to do down there in the pit of your gut, but you're pulling a Jonah. Ah, no thanks, God. But you know, when you run from God, eventually you run into God. And Jonah isn't on this boat for too long before a massive storm comes up and threatens to drown everybody on board. Last week, Steve reminded us that sin always comes with a storm. I've heard it said that sin always takes you further than you want to go, makes you stay longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. Well, the storm keeps getting worse, and the captain goes down below deck. He finds Jonah sleeping. He says, hey, man, this is no time for a nap. Get up, pray to your God. Maybe he can help us. And and the sailors on the boat, they cast lots to figure out whose fault this storm is, and the lot falls to Jonah, verses 8 through 10. So they asked him, to uh, tell us who's, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, 
who made the sea and the dry land. Well, this terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? Loosely translated, dude, (laughs) are are you serious? You're saying that your God made the sea and you're trying to run away from him on a boat? How dumb are you? Verses 11 through 13, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, "Uh, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Uh, Pick me up and, and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Ironically, these sailors care more about saving the life of one man than Jonah cared about saving the lives of thousands of people. And even more ironically than that, these sailors actually hold a prayer meeting right here on the boat. These pagans start worshiping. Remember, Jonah ran away from God to avoid converting pagans, and what does God have him doing? (laughs) Converting pagans. God is hilarious. Verses 14 through 16 says, they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, If I was God, this would be the end of the story. There would be no chapter two. It would end right here. And Jonah sank to the bottom of the sea. Glug, glug, glug. So don't be disobedient like Jonah. The end. But thankfully, I'm not God. Verse 17. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God provided, literally it says, appointed a fish. God says, uh, hey fish. The fish says, uh, yes God. <laughs> God says, uh, I need you to go pick up Jonah. I'll give you directions on the way. Oh, and hey fish, one more thing. This part is important. Swallow, but don't chew. I'll let you know where to drop him off. The fish says, okie dokie Lord. <laughs> now, let's pause. Let's just be honest for a second. Maybe you're hearing me say this and you're thinking, all right, I'm not really sure if it's okay to say this in church or not, but this whole thing about a fish swallowing a guy and then the guy staying alive for three days in the fish until the fish kind of burps him back out on dry land, like that's kind of hard to believe. Listen, yeah, (laughs) it is. I get it, and it, it's okay to be honest about that. But the point of this story is not to prove that there's some rare species of giant fish that people can live inside for three days. The point is that God did a miracle to save Jonah using a fish. So the real underlying question here is, can God do miracles? And if you're a Christian today, then that means that you believe that this God did in fact raise his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead after three days being dead in the tomb. And, and listen, if he can do that, my guess is it's not that big of a deal for him to use a fish as a rental car for one of his prophets. No problem. The point of the story is not the fish. The fish is just meant to remind us that we serve a God who is always doing something great. In fact, if there's one word that's associated with God here in this story of Jonah, it's that word, great. 
God says, go to the great city of Nineveh. He sends a great wind that causes a great storm. The sailors see God calm this storm and they fear a great fear. And then God sends a fish. Want to guess what kind of fish? A great fish. God is in the business of doing great things. Do you want to know the one word that's most associated with Jonah in this story? It's not great. Jonah's not great. He's, he's far from great, in fact. It's the word down. Jonah gets a call from God, but instead he goes down to Joppa and down into the ship and down below decks and eventually down into the water and down into the fish. Every step you take away from God and outside of God's will is a downward step. And eventually, if you run from God, just like Jonah, you will eventually run into God, which is what happens here in Jonah chapter two. Now, chapter one has been really like loud and chaotic and busy, but all the action just grinds to a halt right here in chapter two. It's like swimming. Remember the last time you went to the lake or the pool and you're swimming and everybody's yelling, it's loud, they're splashing around, but then you go underwater and all of a sudden it's quiet and it's just you. And that's where Jonah is. He's He's in the dark, he's in the quiet, he's all alone going down, down, down. And what does he do? Jonah chapter two, verse one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He prays. Why? Well, because <laughs> he's got nothing better to do. <laughs> And maybe, maybe your prayer life isn't where you want it to be. Maybe your prayer life is weak right now because you always have something better to do. And man, I, I know that feeling. Maybe, maybe you're just distracted. Maybe we need to get to the point in our life where we regularly build in time that we don't have anything better to do than to pray. This is actually the first time in this whole story that we see Jonah pray. He doesn't pray when God talks to him. He doesn't pray even when the sailors ask him to pray. But here, now, in the belly of the fish, Jonah finally prays. You see, the belly of a fish isn't a pleasant place to live, but it's a perfect place to learn. I've heard it said before that sometimes you don't know that God is all you need until God is all you have. Maybe that's where you are today. Let's take a look at Jonah's prayer here in Jonah chapter two, verses two through 10. We'll just read the rest of the chapter. He says this, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. There's that word again, down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. 
Now, I gotta be honest with you. This prayer kind of stumps me. In reading about this, scholars are just about split 50-50 on whether this is a good example of prayer or a bad example of prayer. And, and the more I think about it, the more I think it's honestly kind of both. So I wanna look at this prayer through three lenses today, the good, the bad, and the gospel. First, the good. For starters, it's good that Jonah's even praying at all. I mean, think about it. The guy's in the belly of a fish. He is marinating in stomach acid. He has no idea if or when he is gonna get out. But instead of letting it make him bitter, he lets it make him better and he prays, which is remarkable because initially, you know, he ran from God's presence, but now he's seeking God's presence. Is that what you do in your dark moments? Verse seven, he says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. I hope yours is rising to him. I hope you're remembering him. The second good thing is Jonah, well, he, he gives credit where credit is due. Verse three, Jonah says, you hurled me into the depths. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Verse six, he says, but you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. Jonah knows that all of this, the storm, the sailors getting chucked into the water, the fish, all of it is from God. He gives credit where credit is due. And the third good thing is here, Jonah, he quotes scripture might not be readily apparent, but as you dig into this, you discover that actually basically none of this prayer is original to Jonah. He's not just making this up. This is really a mashup of various quotations from the Psalms. And I was blessed in my life to have a mentor who taught me how to pray the Psalms. And from that moment on, praying the Psalms has been the most foundational, informative, spiritual discipline in my personal life. If you don't pray the Psalms, I really think that you should. Because Jonah does well. He teaches us here that, that we should have God's word memorized. I hope that you are storing up God's word in your heart so that you have it readily available like Jonah does in your moment of trouble. There's some good stuff in this prayer. But there's also some bad. It's kind of like half an inch of snow on a garbage dump. It looks all nice and pretty <laughs> until you start digging. The first thing here is you notice Jonah never really actually says he's sorry. There's not much confession here. There's not much humility either. I mean, notice a lot of this is still kind of all about him. He says, I called to the Lord. I remembered you. I will sacrifice to you. I will make good on my vows. I'll do this. I did that. Still seems just a little self-righteous. I mean, yeah, sure, Jonah is grateful, but in the next two chapters, we're gonna see that his heart hasn't actually changed all that much. I mean, so this is, this is partial repentance at best. And I've heard it said before that, God's grace isn't all that good if you don't think you're all that bad. And, and maybe that's you. I mean, yeah, sure, you know you're a sinner, but, but you don't think you're all that bad, right? Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I, I go to church, I read my Bible, I volunteer, I do the dishes for my wife, I don't beat my kids or cuss at work. I mean, sure, yeah, I sin, I should probably be a little more patient, but, but I'm not that bad. Sounds like Jonah. Maybe you need to look a little deeper. There was a famous uh, preacher by the name of G.K. Chesterton. And one time a newspaper wrote him a letter asking him to describe what he thought was wrong with the world. And G.K. Chesterton responded by saying this, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. I am. Me, I'm what's wrong with the world. C can you say that? 
Because if you honestly can't say that, then well, you might just be a Jonah. In fact, <laughs> Jonah is still so smug here that not even the fish can stomach this guy. This fish upchucks, tosses his lunch, loses his cookies, belches Jonah up onto the beach. He's no hero. Jonah's just a smelly little guy covered in tuna chunks and half-digested shrimp cocktail. Yeah, sure, there's some good in this prayer and there's some bad in this prayer, but thankfully, there's also some gospel. There's some good news. And we find it here in the very last line, verse nine. It says, salvation comes from the Lord. I like the way the ESV says it. It says, salvation belongs to the Lord. I hope you believe that, but my question for you is not really whether you believe it necessarily, but, but whether you live it. Maybe you're living like salvation belongs to yourself because you've got this future version of you in your head that's more patient and more disciplined and you know has it all put together. But, but be honest with yourself, <laughs> 10 years ago, you kind of thought that person would be here by now, didn't you? You see, the problem is you. I'm what's wrong with the world. There is nobody in your life who has lied to you, hurt you, failed you, or fought you more than you. Salvation doesn't belong to you. Salvation doesn't belong to me. If we're the problem, then we can't also be the solution. So maybe you're living like salvation belongs to another person, to someone else, maybe to a spouse or a friend or a lover. But the problem is they can't fix themselves either. So they definitely can't fix you. So, so maybe you're living like salvation belongs to the world. Because yeah, I mean like a, a new pair of shoes or a bucket of Cold Stone cookie dough ice cream makes you feel amazing, right? For a little bit. And so you chase that new car or stylish clothes or having the right resume or adding another zero to your salary. But the problem is that underneath all those frills, you're still you. So maybe you live like salvation belongs to religion. You do the right things and you dress and talk the right way under the mistaken belief that it's the good little boys and girls who get salvation, but that's not it at all. Actually, Jonah proves that it's the bad little boys and girls. It's bad little boys and girls who surrender to God's grace who get salvation. Salvation doesn't belong to religion or to the world or to someone else or to, to you or to me or to anybody else. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And remember, the point of Jonah is to give you a clearer vision of God's heart. And so if you learn anything today, learn this. The God of the great fish, the God of the great city, the God of the great storm, this great God is a God of great grace. He is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And Jonah is proof that there is nobody who is too far gone. Even if you are covered in fish guts, God can save you. God can use you. But it's only when you admit that you need it. Yes, God's grace is amazing, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a pretty good guy like me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. That saved a wretch like me. You get great grace when you confess that you are a great sinner. I remember when I 
first started dating Rebecca and things are starting to get serious. So he started asking these questions, you know, like how, how do I know that I love her? How, how do I know that, that she loves me? Because listen, when we were in college, Rebecca was the big fish on campus. She just was. A bunch of my friends had asked her out and gotten shot down. And so when I finally managed to fool her into dating me, I, I, I started wondering, like, how could she really love a guy like me? Because she had all these cool ex-boyfriends, you know? And like, if you've been around me for more than 10 seconds, you know that I am really not cool. <laughs> I mean, there was Zach who played electric guitar and there was Dane who was in a band and there was this six foot six basketball player named Brady. And there was Denzel who went on to become an MMA fighter. I mean, his name is Denzel. My name is Luke Donald Proctor. How could she possibly love me? And if you ask my wife, Rebecca, she can tell you the moment that she knew she loved me. It was when she realized that I'm a wretch. I had, I had messed up. I had sinned against her big time and she had every right to leave me in the dust. But she didn't. And in that moment, she knew she loved me. My wife is a wife of great grace. And our God is a God of great grace. And when you are in the belly of the fish and you are a mess and you cry out to him, you will discover that yes, he can even save a wretch like you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amazing grace. That word salvation it actually comes from the Hebrew root word, Yeshua. And if that sounds familiar to you, it's because we translate that word as the name Jesus. And if you look hard, you can find Jesus on every page of this story. Jonah, we're told in 2 Kings chapter 14, is from a little place called Gath Hefer, which is near a little town called Nazareth. Do you remember another prophet from Nazareth? And in this story, we see Jonah, he's taking a nap on the boat in the middle of a storm and everybody else is terrified, but then he wakes up and God calms the storm. Does that remind you of anybody else? The name Jonah means dove. Hmm. I think there's somebody else who went down into the water and came back up and a dove descended on him. This whole story is pointing to Jesus. And, and toward the very end of Jesus' life, like Steve told us last week, Jesus said that he had a sign to give the world. He called it the sign of Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus said, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. This God is a God who is always up to something great. He is a great God of great grace. And we see his greatness, we see his grace nowhere more completely than in his act of salvation, giving his son Jesus. And Jesus came and Jesus died for you. And he was buried. And he lay dead in that tomb on Friday and on Saturday. But on Sunday morning came the sign of Jonah. On the third day, he emerged alive. And now he offers you salvation to go down into the water with him as good as dead and to be born again. Salvation belongs to him. This great God is a God of great grace and you can discover his grace beneath the water. 
just like Jonah, in the waters of baptism. Hey, we're having a baptism week coming up at the end of this month. So don't pull a Jonah. If he is prompting you, come have a conversation with us. You can always go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism tab. We would love to get connected with you. It does not matter who you are or what you have done. Maybe you're feeling a little bit like Jonah, like, man, yeah, there's some good in here, but there's some bad in here, and I don't know how to weed it all out. But listen, you got some good, you got some bad, but you need the gospel. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And God is so patient, even with Jonah's partial repentance, and he will be patient with you too even if you were a thousand times worse than you are right now, you would be no match for his mercy. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love this great story because in it we meet again your great grace. You're amazing. And especially here in chapter two, God, you know you've been confronting me this week. I've got some good, I've got some bad, and I don't know how to sort it all out, God, and I'm half-hearted at best a lot of the time, it seems like. But I'm thankful that you use me. I'm thankful that you use us, Lord, that your grace is so great that it can even cover over sinners like us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We thank you for the great things that you are doing in our lives. We thank you for the grace that you give us every day. And we thank you primarily for the greatness and the grace that you demonstrated by sending your son Jesus to die and to rise again and for giving us new life in him. And so Father, if there's people here in this right now who need to experience that new life and put their faith in you and receive your grace, God, I just draw them in, draw them in. We're getting ready to take communion again, Lord. Not because we're good, but because we're bad and we're here to embrace your grace and to just say thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.